Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Bruce, uh, fantastic to have you along on the podcast today. Mm. I'm talking from Brisbane and you're down in Newcastle, is that correct? That's correct there, Richard. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. How's life uh, and uh, winter settling in for you? Um, we're talking at the beginning of June, so at the beginning of winter. How's uh, how's winter uh, affecting you guys so far? No, it's doing quite well, actually. The weather's been pretty good, but, uh, you know, cool, you know, coolish. Um, right. But everything's relative, isn't it? Having yeah. grown up in Growing up in Melbourne, um, Newcastle um, is a very good climate. Oh, very good. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about your early days in Melbourne a little later. So, Bruce, uh, just to, to get the conversation moving, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your current professional responsibilities, please. Yes, Richard. Um, I'm currently serving as the uh, Managing Director of Educare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, largely entails um, just overseeing the... Uh, both the daily uh, operational um, aspects, um, HR uh, matters, um, employment, uh, as well as the marketing communications, and and overseeing um, some aspects of um, you know, some of the clinical uh, work in conjunction with Emory. Okay, great. And so, uh, describe Educare for us uh, as a business. What do you do? Who do you look after? Give us a sense of the size of the business, etc. Yes, Educare is uh, was established back in 1999 by uh, my wife Anne Marie. Um, Anne Marie is an educational child psychologist, and she's largely uh, developed it initially as a solo uh, clinician for the first ten years, and then gradually um, branched out, recognising the um, the need and the benefit for some um, associates um, in conjunction with the work that she was doing, namely. Um, some other psychologists in the speech and, and so forth, and uh, it evolved uh, from there. So we're up to about our, our 23rd year, I believe, um, 22nd, 23 years. And uh, as I say, Educare has largely grown and developed um, on the back of Anne-Marie's work. Um, mm-hmm. I had a prior uh, career in education and so forth, and uh, since um, I retired from there in 2018, I've sort of stepped more into the forefront um, of the management of Educare. In answer to your question, of, as far as Educare is concerned, it is a multidisciplinary um, uh, medical and health practice incorporating um, paediatrics, psychiatry, psychology, speech, and OT, and some social work. And it was really uh, developed um, on the basis of a multidisciplinary approach to um, these areas simply because um, parents, you know, were finding that they were having to sort of go from one site to another site to one provider to another provider and so forth. So there was, it was considered that there was considerable benefit um, in um, housing all of these services mm-hmm. uh, under the one roof. And so whilst it didn't happen overnight, it has been evolving, particularly over the last uh, 10 years, to the extent that we now have about 35 um, uh, clinicians and staff. Okay. And how broad is the geographic reach of the organisation? 
It is largely, well, of course, it is Newcastle-based, um, but um, we are um, located in the um, central business and professional hub of Charlestown, um, about 15 minutes outside of Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a large medical presence. In fact, it's possibly the, the next largest um, to uh, the surrounding area of the John Hunter um, Hospital. So we are possibly and have been and maybe um, uh, certainly um, considered uh, the largest private uh, or independent multidisciplinary uh, medical and health uh, practice um, and have been serving, as I say, about uh, 22 years and about uh, since 2000, January 2011 in this Charlestown uh, locality. Mm-hmm. And the multidisciplinary aspect, I just had to be careful saying that, mm-hmm. uh, is that quite unique or is that a model that, you know, is widely adopted elsewhere in Australia? Increasingly adopted, um, <clears throat> certainly in the last uh, five to eight um, years, um, certainly in this Newcastle area, Amory was really, uh, if you really go back in its history, uh, 1999 was really one of the first um, educational child psychologists you know, mm-hmm. to establish private practice. Um, and it sort of evolved and developed because of the, the need and the demand uh, for that. Uh, in terms of as it evolved, um, it really was breaking, you know, to a, it's an arguable point, but uh, largely breaking new ground to a certain extent, um, to the extent of, you know, bringing all of those services together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly has evolved and, and developed. And I, I guess that's really our unique, um, um, you know, call to um, our responsibility. Right. Um, in, in the sense of <clears throat> bringing those key medical um, and allied health uh, services together for the benefit of, of children, teens and, uh, you know, families um, mm-hmm. in particular. And, Bruce, would you say that that was a conscious uh, strategic consideration at the time. We want to do this. We're breaking new ground. It will be quite innovative. Or was it more opportunistic? You know, uh, it just kind of morphed and, and, and grew in that direction over time. I think it's possibly right through the middle of that. I, I think, to, to be honest, um, there's a certain degree of um, opportunism at the time in terms of... Um, in early days, um, uh, there was um, um, a government um, provided, um, you know, financial support for families under what was known as Faxia. And so it did tend to sort of lend itself to psychs and speech um, and to a lesser extent, um, OTs working together, particularly psychs and speech. Um, and so we, in response to that, we we started pulling uh, some clinicians together. Um, but then over, over time and from those early days, it became more intentional. Okay. Um, and then we uh, were fortunate to attract the, um, the engagement of a, um, a lead psychiatrist from the University of Newcastle who had a full professorial chair there. Um, and he was wanting to undertake some private practice in in as a sideline to um, his other engagement and so forth. And so he's been here for a long time. And so that introduced the medical element of psychiatry, which is very complementary 
as you'd understand, to psychology. Mm-hmm. There's the medical dimension to it. Um, and so that started to uh, get the ball rolling uh, that led uh, to more intentional uh, planning um, uh, in that regard to the extent um, that it has become quite intentional and it is a model um, that um, in, in smaller ways or in some other ways that other providers have introduced where they have been able to um, uh, sort of similar services, but possibly in a smaller way uh, than currently is the case with Educare. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, look, I'm keen to explore a little bit more about Educare and, and so on, but why don't we just step back a bit in time? Bruce, yes. uh, I think you mentioned uh, uh, that you're originally from Melbourne. So tell us a little bit about your early life Uh uh, you know, where you were born, mum and dad, and, and sort of uh, growing up? Yes, well, look, uh, for me personally, um, I grew up in uh, Melbourne, um, East St Kilda, became a St Kilda supporter, um, either for better or for worse. Uh-huh. The NFL. You and Molly Meldrum. Many would, yes, many would argue possibly for worse, um, sort of uh, having waited um, all of these years uh, for success. But anyway, that's another story. But I grew up there and then uh, um, schooling uh, and so forth. And then subsequently, uh, the family moved out to uh, Glen Waverley. And um, just really in the last uh, 12 months, my uh, mother, who was, um, just had her 99th birthday just the other day, wow. um, had moved out of there from, uh, from, last, uh, yeah, from last year. And uh, so there was a bit of a, an end of a an era, but it's certainly um, very fond memories of Melbourne, and I still regard it as home. Enjoy the culture anytime I I visit uh, there. And when you were at school, Bruce, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I was always interested in education, uh-huh. um, and I enjoyed that. I had some good role models, and I enjoyed school life. Um, and to the extent that you know the role model and enjoyment of school life. That was something really I didn't um, ever think of doing anything else other than that. Were your so, parents, sorry, Bruce, were your parents involved in a, in education from a career point of view? Or? No, no. My father was a sort of shell executive. Uh, in okay. fact, he, he worked um, six weeks short of 40 years in the one office there in William Street in, uh, um, um, in Melbourne. Right. Um, only moved once because Shell built the building next door, door to it and they transferred and so forth. So, no, it was in that uh, environment and certainly, you know, um, his was an old school sort of environment, you know, stability mm-hmm. and loyalty and, you know, um, was the, uh, uh, and the and the longevity of these sorts of things, you know, does stand in contrast to the approaches of, you know, employment and longevity these days and professional development and opportunity. For sure. And so uh, you decided that you wanted to work in the education field. So so how did your career unfold? Well, yes, I uh, then pursued that um, and then entered um, in teaching career. In fact, um, I used to teach uh, senior economics um, and, uh, uh, and then uh, subsequently I then went to the US for about six years and did some postgraduate work. Um, and including uh, PhD and so forth in educational administration. And then I came back and I was uh, then um, took up a head of school role to the extent that um, in 2018, I retired after 42 years in the profession. 
mm-hmm. and about uh, you know 23 in the in the uh, in the one location heading up a an independent school campus of about a thousand. Where was that press? In Newcastle. In Newcastle, right? Yeah, and, yes. And so, what originally took you to Newcastle? Um, it was really just an appointment back uh, coming back from uh, the US. Um, there was an opportunity to sort of uh, uh, return to a role, and uh, I accepted that. And um, <clears throat> those were the days when, um, you know, I said to my wife, uh, of course, Anne Marie is from Finland originally, and um, and when I sort of you know suggested that there was an opportunity and an appointment in Newcastle, she sort of explain, oh, boy, that sounds so romantic. And, of course, this is against the backdrop of Newcastle as an industrial city. <laughs> um, but we've come to really enjoy it. Um, Newcastle is is really, um, you know, arguably a, a really um, a significant, you might say, even hidden gem, but it's, you know, it's located on beaches. Um, it's located, you know, within 40 minutes of the Hunter Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, the city life has evolved. Uh, it's increasingly becoming um, a greater professional presence is, mm-hmm. is developing uh, in Newcastle um, and Lake Macquarie. And so we're on the water uh, at Lake Macquarie. And so it's just a fantastic living environment. And you're only about an hour and a half uh, maximum out of Sydney uh, when you need your Sydney fix. Um, but as a living environment and, you know, moving around the city and it's li- and the living environment itself is, is is a very attractive place to live and, and raise a family. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've been there for many a conference. Uh, it seems to be a bit of a conference hotspot, and uh, mm. it, I agree. It's a delightful part of Australia. And how mm. did you how did you and Anne Marie meet then? If she's from Finland, well, we met. Yes, uh, coincidentally, we met um, in in the United States when we were both studying. So she did um, her masters. I did a masters initially. Um, in education, and she did likewise in, in counselling, and then subsequently, uh, when and I finished off a PhD there, and then subsequently, when she came back, she finished off her PhD in psychology mm-hmm. uh, at the University of Newcastle. Okay, and so you mentioned that uh, uh, it has predominantly been her business, with you stepping in yes. to a more significant role in the last sort of three or four years. Correct. Um, so. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are aspiring business owners or CEOs. And, yes. and so one of the questions I always like to ask people such as yourself is how much of a cultural uh, shock, not shock necessarily, but how much realignment did you need to make from being essentially running a school to becoming an entrepreneur running a small business? Was there any sort of radical reconsiderations that you needed to think about in terms of, you know, how you conducted yourself as a a leader or was it pretty much um, uh, a fairly harmonious transition? It was a fairly harmonious uh, transition and a fairly smooth transition. And I guess uh, simply because when I was considering education, notwithstanding the fact that I did say earlier that education was my focus and I'm really, you know, proud of making that choice and feel as if, um, you know, I feel satisfied that, you know, I did make a a significant contribution um, in that field of education and school development and so forth. It was a new campus that we developed and and so forth. So I feel very satisfied with that. But um, simultaneously, um, I'd often thought if if there had been an alternative, I would have gone into business in the first Mm -hmm. instance. I'd done economics and I thought, that as well but I think I had a natural maybe family 
um, orientated um, entrepreneurial sort of uh, streak when I was in the US. Um, I set up whilst I was studying there an importing business and so forth, and that was okay. sort of run on the side in tandem. So, and that was quite a successful um, importing business. Um, but in terms of um, making the transition in 2018, I was always in the background, um, you know, from the business development standpoint, um, supporting Anne Marie. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't, um, you know, the front of house um, presence. Um, but she, um, as the main clinician, and it was her practice, and you know, arguably still her practice, um, she was the, you know, the prime, you know, driver mm-hmm. in that regard. But with the experience that I'd had, um, both from an entrepreneurial, I, as I say, there's, there's a lot of um, areas that I have been able to develop and, and grow and, and facilitate and, um, you know, finance and, and those sorts of areas um, are not, um, you know, significant challenges to me. I, I understand them. Um, I understand how to, you know, delegate or I understand how to, um, have outsourced certain areas that you know that need to you know be facilitated so you're not being all things to all people mm-hmm. but I have been in that sort of role for a long period of time such that stepping into a practice of this nature really uh, is really um, I suppose my bread and butter sure uh, the main benefit I suppose in stepping out of a, a larger sort of school complex is is really the, the accountabilities of a thousand campus to, as distinct, but they are different accountabilities in this medical and health practice. Mm. But I've got a bit more freedom and scope to be able to uh, move and live my life uh, than was the case uh, in school life. Very good. And, uh, and my next question, and I will uh, give you a caveat before I ask it. So uh, I founded my business with now my former wife. And uh, I think for a lot of uh, husband and wives or partners trying to, you know, run a business successfully whilst maintaining a good relationship, it's very challenging. Um, you've obviously done that together for a long time and, yeah. uh, and even more so now with you working more substantively in the business. How, how do you navigate through that? Yeah, it, it is an interesting uh, question, and it is um, it's something that you you certainly do have to understand um, the dynamics and the pressures and all that sort of thing. So it would be wrong to say that it hasn't been you know with its ups and downs and so forth. But that's like you know if it if it wasn't that, it would be some other aspect in life. You know um, that comes with the territory of you know serious relationships and so forth. You're navigating and. Uh, both of us, I think, have um, been professionally uh, driven, um, philosophically driven. I think that's both of us had this educational background. So therefore, um, I think it's safe to say um, have been driven philosophically. So it's, it's not just a, an eclectic sort of approach to mm-hmm. uh, sort of business in terms of a grab bag of you viewed ideas, but rather it has been intentional in terms of what we've sought to do. Both of us have that common philosophy. Um, and both of us have recognised our areas of, you know, distinct expertise in terms of Anne-Marie and particularly on the clinical side and mine on the business side. So we've largely, you know, recognised that. And through the more challenging times, you know, uh, I think there has been a, a fairly strong disposition to, you know, support each other or sometimes, if necessary, just remain silent. Fair enough. And uh, I imagine some clear delineation of who looks after what. Would that be fair to say? Yes, well, I think that's sort of just been 
readily understood. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, so, it, you know, for, for the most part, I think that those um, lines of demarcation have, have just been fairly natural. So there hasn't mm -hmm. been a great overlap, though, you know, we both, you know, um, you know, I suppose it's not completely separate either. So there is um, obviously some good dialogue and, and, uh, and the relationship has, has come through it. I mean, it, it is true. Business is not for the faint-hearted. That's for sure. And, and, and particularly in this area of, of medical health, there are a lot of people, you know, who are good clinicians and then have decided, you know, to go out and step out and develop themselves. And, mm -hmm. and they need you know, have certain personalities and disposition and certain wherewithal to be able to facilitate and do that to be clear. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, it's, it's not an easy gig. It's not something that, well, I'm just going to do this tomorrow. Um, it has evolved over time. It has improved. Has, and we're, we're on that continual journey. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you were to ask me, you know, what is... Um, our aspiration moving forward, and maybe you will ask, so, but I'll just allude to it, and that is, you know, in terms, your aspiration is always on a journey of self-improvement. It's always on a journey of, um, you know, QA, quality assurance, and in this particular area of medical and health, um, continually striving for, you know, um, improved um, evidence-based outcomes. Mm. That is, you know, um, helping um young people or families or adults, for that matter, um, navigate some of the challenges that they're confronted with in life. That's the business that we're in. That's the practice to identify um, the barriers that impede growth, development, emotional stability, social engagement, learning, to identify that through assessments and so forth, and then to provide the treatment and the assess uh, whereby um, uh, it, it enhances, and that's our vision. You know, that mm -hmm. enhances their well-being and their success as uh, as as uh, as contributors to within our community. Mm. Well, I, I mean, Bruce, certainly, you know, from speaking to you prior to this podcast, uh, uh, as I understand it, from what you were saying, you know, there is a substantive demand for your services, um, and so. Uh, the real focus seems to be on um, ensuring the culture within your business is one that really sustains and promotes, um, as you say, this ongoing focus on continuing development and enhancement of our quality systems and, and outcomes for our clients. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that specifically? Yes. Well, look, um, we have, um, you know, just on, from a strategic standpoint, uh, we have expanded um, our uh, presence, you know, in, in this uh, current building. Uh, a lot of the space that, uh, you know, we own ourselves, but we have expanded uh, at the end of last year in terms of more um, rooms-based clinical consulting rooms and so forth. Um, in order to be able to expand that, you know, the nature of our services, um, it is um, true that possibly in the last 12 months, you know, and even, yeah, since pre-COVID, the demand for um, medical and health services, and particularly mental health services, has just gone through the roof. Mm. Um, the number of positions that um, you know being advertised, you know, across the board is just quite extraordinary at the moment. So there's a, a real issue of demand and supply of practitioners, um, 
and really if the government were to um, you know, had some uh, some more resources, particularly in this uh, mental uh, mental health area, it's really um, uh, perhaps might be geared towards um, some more educational opportunities and encouragement um, in that space um, as far as uh, the development of clinicians. But really, there's short supply of psychologists, speech, OT is, is, is a current thing, and there's always been shortage of uh, medical presence and so forth. So we are looking, though, over the next six months to um, add in another three or four um, psychologists, um, potentially a uh, um, 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 another you know clinical uh, coordinator, um, but also adding to um, another speech, another OT. So there is an intention to um, expand our operation uh, as best we can, mm-hmm. um, in accordance with the available um, you know clinicians that. As a complete aside, I don't know why this has just sprung to my mind. I think I've just seen a couple of stories about it in the media over the last, very recently over the last few weeks, um, this idea about using psychedelic plant medicines to to treat a lot of um, uh, uh, mental health issues and so on. As a a practice, is that one of the things you sort of watch with interest and think about, well, where is this leading to, or is it all a storm in a teacup? Oh, look, um, that is, uh, you know, getting outside of my um, specialised area of uh, expertise. Um, Look, any of those sorts of things, there are varying, um, you know, research-based initiatives that are often taking place, um, to be clear. Um, Look, uh, as far as any particular initiative which we might, you know, take on, you know, clearly it's limited within the services that we're actually Mm -hmm. providing. And then that would be a function also in some instances of the experience of some of those specialists, the psychiatrists or the pediatricians and so forth. But also as maybe part of a collective, we do meet um, not only um, on a a regular um, sort of basis in terms of case reviews and so forth, but on on a quarterly basis where, you know, we have um, 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 evening um, dinner and a professional development and, and other case reviews and so forth, and also discussions about you know strategic direction and possibly some of those initiatives that mm. you know, might be you know played around in the media and there might be some discussion um, more as a general interest um, type thing and, and the you know the particular matter that you've referred to is certainly outside of our particular um, uh, service, um, but it is. Um, it would be not dissimilar to any other initiatives that you know would be of interest and have a bearing upon uh, the work that we're currently doing. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, one of the challenges for um, your organisation, it sounds as though, from what you're saying, across the board, is um, getting access to talent in order to grow your team and therefore your business and so on. Um, when you look though to the future, assuming that. Uh, those resourcing issues can be solved either at, a, at an organisational level or more broadly across the, uh, the industry. What, what are you excited about for the future of Educare? Where do you, um, uh, you know, you've had this business now for 20 odd years. Uh, what still gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you excited about the future? That's a good question. Um, um, I feel energised each each morning, as it were, as you say, getting out of bed. I feel energised about um, the nature of our work. Um, 
And as I observe, you know, particularly what my wife uh, has done, you know, from a clinical standpoint or engagement with families and when they re-engage, you know, 10 years down the track or, you know, or, or the like, um, and um, see some growth and development and improvements in certain areas and so forth. There's a high level of satisfaction. And that's not dissimilar to, you know, the field that I had been operating in as far as education is concerned in terms of, you know, you, and that's coming back to what I was talking about uh, before, um, being philosophically driven, you, you are really, um, you recognise that there's something of, of significance of, of human endeavour that you're trying to contribute um, in a meaningful and purposeful way to the lives of those that you're engaged with. In this particular case, when I was at school, you know, as a, as a, a school a community, um, in this particular case, again, it's children, it's, it's teens, it's families, it's adults. And, um, and so, you know, uh, both Amory and I, you know, um, aside from the challenges of just, you know, business in general, um, the thing that really keeps you uh, moving forward and, and energised is just the opportunity that you do have that through that medium of a medical and health practice, which is, uh, it's not an end in itself, but it's a means to impacting in some shape or form the lives of people who um, have encountered, you know, barriers or have encountered issues that impact as I say, they're either their learning or their social engagement um, or their emotional uh, well-being. And so if you can impact that um, and see improvement, um, there's a high level um, of uh, satisfaction that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And seeing it successful and seeing it as a vibrant, significant player and provider, you know, within this area of Newcastle, Hunter region, and uh, um, I just thinking in terms of one of your earlier questions, it does reach out there are quite a lot of families that do come from North New South Wales and come down the Central Coast or from out, uh, uh, out west and so forth to access mm-hmm. these services simply because it's difficult to replicate all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, it, you know, and some have said, oh, why don't you open up in Brisbane, Melbourne and, you know, the, all that sort of thing. Well, um, it's not easy, you know, given you know, the, the central nature of the practice are the people, um, and that applies to any business, are the people who are delivering the service at grassroots mm-hmm. and having that direct, uh, so my, and that direct impact on the lives of uh, these people. I see my role simply as a facilitator of that process mm-hmm. to ensure that the systems and the processes and the structures are there for it to operate efficiently and effectively to get those evidence-based outcomes that we all strive for. Mm. And I, I imagine, you know, to think a little bit, you know, in terms of that altruistic reward of knowing that you've had a very positive impact, it's also that those people who were either being educated at the school, the young people, or, you know, uh, or seeking treatment and, uh, and um, mm. services from Educare, they are also going out into the world, aren't they? So... Uh, you know, they're leaving the Newcastle region and going to pursue families and careers and education and so on. So it must also be very satisfying to know that uh, 
you're sending people out into the world you know, in, in good shape. So uh, I can completely understand why um, uh, you would find that so rewarding and fulfilling. What about outside of work, just to sort of wrap this conversation up, Bruce? Uh, uh, you know, uh, no doubt you and Anne-Marie are very busy people uh, with work, but what do you like to do uh, when you're not working to keep the petrol tank full and, uh, and uh, keep up um, your enjoyment of life? Um, possibly a couple of things um, in particular, um, and that is um, our most enjoyable moments, and I can honestly say this, uh, and speaking on behalf of Emory and myself, um, is my family time. Uh-huh. Um, so um, when we have opportunity, um, both I have two sons, one 30, one 28, um, they're in Sydney-based, um, and uh, we will go down and spend time with them, or alternatively, you know, they come up with us. So the, the, our best time of downtime and relaxation is possibly uh, over a, a meal. Yep. Where there's a good sit down for two to three hours and the engagement of conversation mm-hmm. with the family. I'm, and I often will say I'm happiest when I'm with the family. And possibly the second thing is Emery has, um, is finished by her birth. Um, you know, she's... And she left Finland in, in the mid-80s or thereabouts and then studied. And so we've been out here in Australia since, or she has, since um, 88. So it's, it's been quite a, a long while. But in that time, you know, we travel back and forth uh, to Europe and so forth, and, and she has to her family. So I think she's done in the order of um, maybe she's done 25 to 30 trips and I've done about 20, but usually when we go there, you know, we'll take some time, a couple of weeks, two or three weeks in some part of Europe. So downtime for me is either with my family or just just enjoying it um, together, either in the past, it's been with the family or just with Anne-Marie now more, um, more often, um, you know, just in these remote villages of Europe, to be perfectly honest. I thoroughly enjoy that. Has she gotten, has she gotten you eating any of these... Uh, crazy fermented fish <laughs> no no, no. She, no i don't think she'd ever succeed in that regard oh fair enough and i i, I imagine obviously your, your travel's been curtailed heavily with uh current yes. world events when yes. you uh when are you hoping to jump back on a plane and oh, well, look, over you? I, I suppose it's like everybody um you know look uh, i read recently there's um um 11 and a half million australians travel overseas pre-covid Mm-hmm. Um, and there were nine and a half million overseas people coming on. And the, the point of the article was, well, there were a lot more of the Australians, you know, often travelling overseas who are now travelling around Australia yeah. and, of course, spending their money accordingly and, and, and so forth. Um, I guess we're just like uh, many of these people where we've had opportunity and it, it has been curtailed, let's face it, you know, as we've all, you know, been sort of uh, quarantined as it were in our our homes and uh, localities and so forth. But, you know, uh, devoting a bit more time to uh, places in Australia, we're going up to Port Douglas in a couple of weeks' time, um, you know, and we've been up to Early Beach. I sort of understand that's where you've been uh, sort of recently. And, um, and um, you know, it's just nice to Tasmania, you know, some of these areas that, um, that sometimes get less visited, but uh, there's great opportunities here within this country. And so mm-hmm. we're making the best and enjoying that as other Australians are doing. And when the opportunity presents itself in a safe uh, way, um, you know, we'll be happy to get on a plane, but possibly not until 
you know, you feel confident about uh, being able to return once you go. That's uh, the main thing, isn't it? Uh, is uh, getting back home. Well, Bruce, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. It sounds like uh, the two of you have built an amazing business. And uh, from our conversations previously in this discussion, uh, a very exciting future ahead. Uh, thanks very much for your time and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been enjoyable talking to you. Very good. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.